Our reading is from John chapter 1. And I'd like to give a little bit of introduction on this passage first. I'm going to use my notes today. Um, John, maybe, probably, was written to some people who had been caught up or at least were familiar with a different kind of teaching back then. Um, And in that teaching, they believed that material things were broken or evil. Uh, So if it was something that you could touch and hold, if it had weight, if it took up space, if it was, in other words, if it was part of the created world, they thought that in some way that that was broken and evil and it was really just a shadow of some idea that was the true meaning of it and that that was the good thing. And so they also thought that human bodies... The, the, the blood in your veins, the muscles on your arms, the bone, all your skin on your face, all the hair on your head. They also thought since the human body is made of material things, then the human body itself was also evil and broken and, and corrupted and things like that. They thought that really the thing that would save them, that would make them pure, was knowledge. If they knew the right things, then that would save them. And, and if you got into their their club, if you call it a club or a movement or a religious movement, they wouldn't give you all the knowledge up front. You'd have to be with them for a while before they started trusting you with some of their bigger secrets. I, I like to think of it as the treehouse, and you need the password. You know, all the kids in the neighborhood build a treehouse, but not everybody can get in the treehouse until they, you know, you sort of earn your stripes, and then they give you the password, and then you can get into the treehouse. So there was a password in this group. John is partly writing his gospel, and if you look at his letters later in the New Testament, he's writing his gospel somewhat to talk about, a lot to talk about what Jesus did, but also to push back on that teaching and to reclaim the material world and its things and human flesh and our uh, participation with God to reclaim that and to say that there's more to that story than just knowledge. It has to do more with faith and what Christ has done. Now, in our text, and I hope you can turn to it in your Bible, um, listen for a word that John uses, and the word is the word word, okay? But in your Bible, it has a capital W, which should tell you that it's a different kind of word than just the word. The Greek word behind that word is logos, and that had a huge range of meanings. One of the meanings was word, in other words, just part of a sentence. But another meaning of logos, and this is probably what John intended for it, or definitely what John intended for it, was um, the whole ordered and created nature of the world that has an aim and a purpose in the world. So logos, or word with a capital W, means the aim and purpose for the world tied up in the ordered and created nature of the world. It's a very giant concept. And if you're as confused as I am after I just said that, I don't think me saying it a third time will help, right? And it's just, it's a giant philosophical concept, and it's tied up in this word, word. And if you follow along as I'm reading, it's important. Notice every place where the word, word has a capital letter, and you'll know that that's when John is speaking about this philosophical concept. And in the way John is using it, it could actually be a word, for God himself, because that is, does describe God to the people that John was writing to, this whole system of, of ordered and created world that had a purpose for the world. So, with that, our reading, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up as a family, we would go camping from time to time. Not an awful lot, but I always enjoyed it. And then as I was a teenager and in college, I would sometimes go camping with friends. And uh, it was always such a great time. And we'd, we'd open up the tent, unwrap it, and find all those little poles. You know, you kind of put the poles together and you kind of stick them through the tent. And then the tent kind of pops up. And you'd un unroll a mat and put your sleeping bag on top of it. Build a little campfire and maybe roast marshmallows, tell stories. and Just live out in the outdoor as if you were sort of an outdoors person, even though you weren't, you know. And um, the next day, that was the great part of camping. The, next, the hard part of camping was breaking camp, was cleaning up afterwards. And uh, the thing I always found the hardest was putting everything back together again. Because if you were to take that tent and sort of take all the sticks out of it and kind of collapse it into a giant ball, then you try to fit it in this long sort of sleeve or sack. Do you all know what I'm talking about? The sort of modern tents are this way. And you think, how is this going to fit in this? And then, of course, you'd have to get the user's manual out, which, you know, hopefully is sewn to the sack so that you don't lose it. Because if it was just a piece of paper, it would be gone forever, right? And so you look on this little tag that's sewn to the sack, and there's all these great instructions for folding the tent in half and then folding the flaps in. And then you put the little sticks in there, and you roll it, and you fold it again. And then you, you squeeze it till it gets just to the point where you can get the end of the sack over it. And once you've done that, you're home free, right? Because then you can just slide the whole thing into the sack, and you can cinch it on the end, and you've got your tent back in this tiny little package again. Now, Sleeping bags were even easier. They had a tiny sack, and you thought, how can the sleeping bag fit in that sack? But you just keep stuffing it in there, stuffing, 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 and in the end, you pull it, cinch the thing, and wow, 
how did all that big stuff fit into this tiny package? Well, you folded it. Well, uh, to, to strain this camping analogy, and I'm sorry for it, John, our author here, is doing some folding of his own. He's folding a really big idea, that logos, that word, this giant concept of who God is, and he's folding it into a really small space. Now, that, the listeners or people reading this would have said, okay, John says, in the beginning was the word. So this idea of God is that he is at the very beginning of all time. In fact, he exists outside time in some, in some sense, if he was there at the beginning. And the word was with God. In other words, the word has this connection with God. It was present with God at the beginning. Then John goes a step further and he says, the word was God. Ah, okay, now we're really expanding. This, this package is getting actually a little bit bigger now. And people would have said, yes, we knew that. The word equals God. That's sometimes the word we use for God is word, logos. It's something that spans all time. It's something that has so much meaning. It's something that spans so much space because all of creation is sort of encompassed by it. And it holds creation together and it explains creation. And it even has a purpose for creation, some goal for creation. All of that is tied up in there. But then John in, in um, verse 14 starts folding. And he takes the logos and he folds it in half. And he folds the flaps in. And then he puts the sticks in. And then he rolls it up. And he gets it tiny, into this tiny little package and he says this. Then the Word became flesh. The Word became human. The Word, this giant system, the whole created order, God himself that encompasses space and time and everything else, became a human being, became flesh. And not only that, something that was really outside of time, that spanned all time, came into the world at one particular time, 2,000 years ago, and in one particular place, thousands of miles from here. And that was really crazy. People listening to that would have said, how is that possible? How can you fold something so big into something that small? This is a much bigger folding job than the tent, Okay. How could that happen? But that, that's really only half of how crazy this concept is. Because remember what the flesh was to some of the people listening. The flesh was that place where evil resides. It was that part of us that's, that's broken. In fact, when you, re- you see the word flesh in the New Testament, sometimes it just means your muscles and the parts of your body. It just means flesh, meat. But sometimes it has a spiritual meaning, and it means, in essence, that part of human nature which is actively opposed to God and God's plan is that part of human nature that has insatiable appetite for evil. It's that part of human nature that keeps wanting things it shouldn't have and is never really satisfied with any of them. That's what flesh means. And so now when when we think about if flesh means that, when John says the Word, the Logos, became flesh, not only was it folding a giant thing into a small package, but it was putting it into a completely corrupt and broken package. It was putting something great and wonderful and good into something that was totally sinful 
and never satisfied with what it had. This all makes sense if you understand that John is talking about in this passage here kind of a giant cosmic battle that's taking place. In the beginning of this passage here, it says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now that translation there of understood is not the best one. And If you have the NIV, you have a text note at the bottom. It says the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not conquered it. The Greek word there is uh, it's maybe one from wrestling. It's this idea of to grasp hold of something. So you, to, you, you understand that you, if you understand something, it means you've taken grasp of it. But from this context, it really has a stronger meaning. That the darkness was not able to grasp hold of the light and subdue it and subjugate it and be victorious over it. But instead, it is the light that shines into the darkness. And there, there's this cosmic battle going on between light and darkness. And John tells us already how it ends up. The darkness shines into the light, into the middle of it. And the, and the darkness, uh, the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness isn't able to grasp it or hold it or subjugate it, but the light ends up having the upper hand over darkness. In the same way, the Word is invading the flesh to the point that it becomes flesh. The word is like the light and the flesh is like the darkness. And it's a weird kind of warfare because it's not a frontal assault. It's not this onslaught onto the flesh to beat it down and destroy it. But it's, to use a military metaphor, it's more like parachute, parachute drop into an enemy capital. And it's this subversive battle that goes deep into the heart of enemy territory and destroys it and conquers it from within. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness can't conquer it back. Flesh, the word comes into the flesh and becomes flesh and with it handles the problems of all of its appetites and all of its opposition to God. The word, you see this is you're probably sitting there thinking, is this a Christmas story? Is this a Christmas story? Because I was expecting angels and shepherds and, you know, a virgin and a manger. That was last night. There's some tapes. You can get those, right? This is actually the same story. This is the exact same story. It's just lacking some of the details. When Jesus was born in the manger 2,000 years ago, That was the moment that the Word became flesh. When all of God in His greatness and splendor entered the human world in a particular place and in a particular time to conquer flesh and its evil from within as light shines into darkness. It leaves out all those details, but it tells us a little bit more about what was at stake in that moment. In that moment, all sin, all death, All evil, all our inclinations against God were dealt with finally because Christ came into the world as a human being to take on all of our problems, all of our sins, 
and to go to the cross as one who had faced them all and was sinless. Now, that was 2,000 years ago, but what's still happening? The Word is still becoming flesh in us. Look at verse 4 again. It says this, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. You know, I love that, at least in the northern hemisphere for us, Christmas takes place just a few days after the shortest day of the year. That's when the sun sets really early and it's dark out most of the time. And uh, the, the world is really dark for us up here. The further north you go, the darker it gets. It's dark in terms of real light, but in reality the world is dark in its sin. It's dark in its, in its appetites that are totally opposed to God and God's plans. It's this brokenness that looms over the world like a dark shroud, heavy and hanging there, that colors everything that happens in this world. But when the Word becomes flesh, when a baby is born and put in the manger, then the light starts to shine in the darkness back then, but now too that Christ comes into our world and to our place here and he overtakes our flesh and he changes us and renews us and he shines his light through us to the rest of the world. This Christmas, I pray this, may his light shine so brightly for us into our hearts, into our homes, into our flesh, into this church and through it, into our world. Amen.